You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Melanie Rogers. Melanie is a registered dietitian and the founder and executive director at Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center. She is passionate about helping others find a true healthy relationship to food. In this episode, we will be discussing what to do and what not to do when supporting a loved one with an eating disorder. I know that you're going to love this topic and get so much out of this conversation. If you want more information on how to help a loved one, please download the free eating disorder recovery handbook in the show notes. Hi, Melanie. How are you today? Meg, great to see you. I'm well. How about yourself? Oh, it's so great to see you. I'm doing fabulous. How was your morning? Great. Very busy, actually. Um, Morning (laughs) breakfast and running around in New York. But you know what? It's really good to be out and about again, you know, with the pandemic. We were all working from home for so long here in New York, especially. So it's just lovely to be out and seeing people in person and getting back to real life. Mm, I completely agree with you. I've been working on expanding my in-person network again since the pandemic. And it's been really fun because I am sort of an extroverted person. So for me, I like to be out there. How do you feel about it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm half and half. I'm extroverted Mm -hmm. and also have that introverted side. So the introverted side, of course, during COVID has really kind of loved that. But the, you know, like yourself, that extroverted part of us and just there's nothing like being with people in full person. Like you get more of their energy, you pick up on the vibe with them. You know, there's just something very inexplicable in that, that I think we have realized so much more than we ever did pre-pandemic. You know, from a mental health perspective, we always talked about make sure you have a social network and that sort of thing. And we would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the pandemic really showed us how crucial it is for us to have physical time with people, not just on Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so true. I think I've made so many friends on the internet over the past almost three years. So it's been really amazing to actually meet those individuals in person. And then you get another layer of who they are. Yes. Yes, you absolutely do. Yeah. There's a whole other dimension for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice you're out and about today. And I'm so grateful to have you here. And for everyone listening, I just want to remind you that Melanie was on an episode of this show previously, almost a year and a half ago. So I will be putting that show in the show notes so that you can refer to it because we talk a lot about Melanie's background and her own recovery journey in that episode. So today we're not going to dive too deep into that. Although I could probably hear your story in another iteration of it anytime. (laughs) 
But for those who may not have heard that episode before, I'd love for you to quickly share your background briefly just to fill everyone in. Sure, Meg. So I am a registered dietitian by training, certified eating disorder registered dietitian and supervisor. But to add to that, I have had my own lived experience with an eating disorder in my 20s and fortunately fully, fully recovered from that. But certainly having that lens of having that, you know, lived experience influences me every single day that I'm working with my clients and also with my team. I founded and run Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center, which is an outpatient eating disorder treatment center here in New York City, right in Manhattan. So I have a team of RDs or registered dietitians and a team of therapists working together to help clients who are struggling with all different types of eating disorders and body image distress and, you know, compulsive behaviors that go along with that. So that's just a little bit about where I came from and what I'm doing now. Mm, I think that's amazing. And This is totally off script, but I'm really intrigued on what inspires someone to create an eating disorder treatment center. Like, how did you come up with that idea? What made you want to start Balance? (laughs) It wasn't something I was planning on doing, to be absolutely transparent. My career goal had been to go into private practice and then build a team of nutritionists working with me who specialized in treating eating disorders. And I did that for the first seven years of my career here in Manhattan. So I built a small group of us, but at the time we were the large eating disorder specific nutrition practice in the city. But, you know, as you're in a field, and I wonder if some of your listeners might experience this, once you've worked in a field for a certain period of time, and you kind of have gone through your rapid learning curve, you start to kind of take a look around at the industry and you notice some things that are done well and you notice some gaps. At least I did. And at the time when I was in private practice, there was only one outpatient treatment center here in New York City for all of New York and surrounding areas. So honestly, it came out of clinical necessity. So I remember calling a meeting with some of our people that we worked with, you know, other clinicians in private practice, you know, some of the docs and the psychiatrists and some of the therapists who had become friends over those years. And I remember we had a meeting and I said, you know, we need another treatment center here in New York. Someone's got to do something. And they said, absolutely, someone's got to do something. And so they said, I think you should, Mulaney. I think you should open a place. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why me? You know, like, what? I don't know. <laughs> at the time, I had never worked at a treatment center. I had worked in private practice, so I definitely had that knowledge. And unfortunately, I had a knowledge of how facilities were run because I had sent many clients out for treatment. So that was the start of the journey. So I hired a consultant to help walk me through the initial stages and found a space. And, you know, that was 13 years ago. And so we've grown a lot over that period of time. And I mean, you know, anyone who runs their own business will know that it's got to be your passion because it's a love, but also sometimes a hate kind of relationship, not with the clients and the team, but with the sorts of things you need to know when you're running your own business, such as regulations and taxes and policies and Mm. legal pieces and things that you have no interest in, but you have to know about, right? So that's kind of how it all came about. So clinical necessity is the short answer to that, Meg. 
Wow. I'm so glad I asked because I hadn't heard that story before. And (laughs) it's really inspiring to know how balance came to be. I just really admire what all of you are doing over at Balance. I think you are always the most up-to-date with like research and evidence-based practices and just keeping things socially like inclusive. And, you know, I just love it. So I was curious, but that isn't even the subject we were going to dive into today. And I want to dive into this because I think you're the right person to talk about this with. And today the plan is to discuss how to support someone as they start their eating disorder recovery journey. And also, so it's sort of what to do and what not to do when supporting a loved one. And this is all inspired from the recovery guidebook on the Balance site that we will link to in the show notes as well. It's a free downloadable guidebook, which is so helpful. So Mulaney, thinking about starting the conversation with a loved one who has an eating disorder, that causes so much anxiety for folks because maybe they don't feel really prepared or they don't know how to approach that. So what is your advice or any suggestions you have on how to start that conversation with the loved one about their struggles? Absolutely. It's a great question, Megan. And you're right. We get this question all the time and rightly so. It's kind of very intimidating and quite frankly, kind of terrifying to ask that question of a loved one. So there's a couple of things that come up for me around this. Number one, you need to be in the inner circle of that person in order to approach them. So if you're kind of a casual friend, I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. If you're a casual friend, I would go to someone who's in that person's inner circle and speaking from the heart, just say, hey, I'm worried about our friend. And I know that, you know, you're closer to our friend, him or her, or, you know, non-binary, perhaps we need to say something. So to clarify there, first and foremost, not saying anything may feel easier. And maybe sometimes we might rationalize and think that's the right thing to do. But actually, it's really important to let the person know that you're noticing something, but to not attack them. So if this person is someone in my inner circle, let's say it's my daughter or it's my sister or my mother or my uncle, watching them with great compassion and respect. And so to go to them and say, you know, do you mind if I just have a chat? So firstly, kind of, you know, set it up, right? And then say, you know, I have noticed that you may be struggling with, you know, food lately, or I have noticed some preoccupation with food lately, or I've noticed that you've been exercising a lot lately. Is everything okay? Mm. So I'm coming at it, as you notice there, I'm coming at it from behaviors. I'm not saying, hey, I've noticed you've lost weight, or hey, I've noticed you've gained weight, or hey, I've noticed your weight's fluctuated. Because if you go in and talk about the appearance that person will usually shut down and they'll feel ashamed and embarrassed. The worst thing for someone with an eating disorder is at least part of the symptoms of an eating disorder is that you are hyper, hyper sensitive around appearance. It's not because our clients with eating disorders are vain. It's because it's actually one of the symptoms of an eating disorder. So if you were to talk to them about appearance changes they would want the floor to open up and swallow them, you know? So coming at it from a behavioral piece and just very gently 
Don't go rat-a-tat-tat-tat. I noticed you did this and then this and this and this and this. Just a one sentence, open it up. Is everything okay? And just know that the automatic response usually will be, I'm perfectly fine. Thank you. And they'll shut the conversation down is usually what will happen. But don't think that they haven't heard you. And I say that because we hear this over and over from our clients, Meg, where clients will say, you know, six months before I was ready to really do something, one of my best friends came to me very gently and very lovingly and said, hey, I noticed a couple of things and I'm worried. Are you okay? And I couldn't I couldn't admit it to them then, but I'm so glad that they said something to me. We always hear that, almost always hear that. Oh. So do not, it may not feel like it's reaching them in that moment. And there may be a delay in that person then reaching out for help. But the follow-up to that would be, let's say your loved one says, it's that obvious, is it? Oh my goodness, I'm really struggling right now. Then it might be okay to say, can I help you in any way? Would you like me to come with you to a support group? Tell me what do you need right now? Don't go into problem solving mode, but offer your emotional and physical support right? Because if you go into problem solving mode, you're closing down the space and the opportunity for your loved one to share emotionally what might be going on for them. And offering support, because it's terrifying to reach out for help and terrifying of going out there on your own and maybe going to a support group on your own. So those are a couple of things to offer that support. Don't use words like, I think you've got an eating disorder. I think you've got anorexia because that feels judgmental and that will also kind of shut down the conversation. So again, just very open, very curious, full of kind of love and respect and let that person know that I'm coming to you as someone who loves you. Are you okay? So we find that that kind of approach just goes over so well. And I know in a little while we'll talk about what not to do. So I won't (laughs) jump into those scenarios just yet. I love that. Wow. You bring up so many amazing, helpful tips there. I really do find it helpful that you reminded folks, you can bring this up to someone, but there might be a delay in them actually getting the help they need. What's your advice for people after they've had that talk and nothing's really happening? Yeah. And that's going to be hard. That's going to be a real test of your love and patience. And I say that with great empathy because for someone who isn't struggling to watch a loved one struggling with something like this, which actually has a high mortality. I mean, eating disorders are no joke, can be excruciating and terrifying. So I really understand how hard this can be. Now, if this person, if your loved one is an adult, there's not much you can do. If your loved one is an adolescent, then you and the parents and the caregivers have a lot more discretionary power, let's say, power in decision-making, I mean, and ability to say, okay, we're going to go to the doctor and get checked out. You know, you can say that to your adolescent because that is your responsibility as a parent. If your kid's sick, you would take them to see the doctor. But if it's an adult, you don't have that ability to do that. So you have to really approach this differently depending on the age of your loved one. So let's go with the assumption that it's an adult 
and they're not immediately receptive to your wonderful intervention. (laughs) And now you're feeling deflated because your heart was probably pounding and you're probably worried about losing your friendship or having a terrible reaction. So that's where it's really important to say, you know, I love you. You're one of my dear friends. I will always support you. And I'm noticing X. So when they very politely say, thank you, but no, thank you. Then I would say, get busy researching. So go to Google online. And one great association here in America is called the National Eating Disorder Association, NEDA, N-E-D-A. They have amazing toolkits online for how to talk to someone who has an eating disorder, how to talk to your kiddo who has an eating disorder. And they have wonderful blogs, et cetera, with wonderful information about how to learn about eating disorders. So if you don't really know the terrain and why would you, none of us are given a handbook, you know, when we enter this world about, okay, this is what you do if you have a best friend with an eating disorder. So this is a great resource. Go and get educated and maybe even go to some of their support groups. And they have a lot of free resources as an example as do we at Balance. Uh, We offer a once a month, a free support group that I run actually on a Saturday at uh, 11 a.m., usually the first Saturday of every month, Meg. And we have a number of people who come to that who obviously are struggling, but we also have others who have a loved one who's struggling and want to get some kind of knowledge and support. So I really encourage you to get educated, get some support so that when your loved one is ready, you have more knowledge at your disposal. And our ebook, for example, could be a great resource for you. And I know Meg will put that in the details later. So that's kind of what I would recommend while you're waiting. And then of course, perhaps be careful here, but you know, speaking to parents, but just be careful because it can feel triangulating. So If you don't tell your friend, like, I'm going to go and talk to your parents, that can feel very threatening. So, you know, if things deteriorate, for example, your friend is really getting into some serious terrain, maybe they've passed out a couple of times, for example, and you're there as a support person and you're saying, you know, I love you as a friend, but I'm really worried for you. Can I accompany you to a doctor? Can we go together? And if they're saying no, 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 and you're worried about their health in a serious way, It is appropriate to say, I'm really worried and I think at this stage it would be important to involve your parents. I don't want to go and talk to your parents, it's not my role, but do you want me to come with you and we can talk to them together? So it's that kind of support, again, not threatening, not saying, well, if you don't go to the doctor, I'm going to go and tell your parents. That is not supportive. That's kind of old-fashioned, tough love, punitive stuff which I think is what I grew up with that experience. It does not work. It does not work. So again, this is where it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of true, you know, real love to help your person without alienating them. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. So the idea of going to someone's parents or support behind their back or being punitive about it is a big no. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this, I'll I'll say this very carefully Let's say your college roommates and your bestie is now passing out and has no energy and you've noticed that they've been, I don't know, running marathons every day or purging in the bathroom or, you know, they're so sick that they can't even make it to classes and they're not willing to get any help. That would be a case in a significant situation like that to say, I love you and I really want you to take this to your parents 
And if that feels impossible for you to do, would you like me to talk to them? Because I feel an obligation at this level and a responsibility because I do love you to get your parents involved because this is getting really, and unfortunately that does put you in a really tricky situation where you may need to, in an extreme situation like that, call call parents. And I know that's really tricky because you know your friend may be really furious with you initially, but we do find that clients, once they get the treatment they need and they kind of come back around to their real personalities, they reconcile often and are so appreciative for the intervention. So again, that's more when someone's, you know, kind of maybe really presenting with some symptoms that are really detrimental. Mm. I just, you know, going behind someone's back is never a good idea, but in that situation where you're telling them up front, this is the steps I feel I need to take for your safety. It's not a secret. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great advice there. What if the person gets angry at you for bringing up this conversation or if they have very reactive and emotional when you bring up the eating disorder? Because sometimes they don't say thanks, but no thanks. They're like upset. (laughs) Hey friends, I have a major announcement. If you are a regular listener of the show, you know that I am the founder of The Recovery Collective, which is the original online eating disorder recovery community for folks all over the world. Well, we will be opening membership doors again for the last time this year, welcoming an entire new group of beautiful humans who are on the path to healing their eating disorders. And guess what? You can be part of that group. When you join the community, you'll have access to live and pre-recorded workshops, group coaching, yoga classes, nourish and learn sessions, meditation and journaling sessions, peer support, and more. You'll also gain a community of friends and peers to connect with and encourage you along the way. So head on over to the show notes now and sign up for the waiting list. Myself and 80 other members of this community can't wait to welcome you inside our little home on the internet. All right, so I'll catch you later. Now back to our planned content. Absolutely. And you should probably expect that. I'm laughing because that is probably more of an accurate reaction. Because again, eating disorders are very secretive. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment that people who are struggling are feeling. So to have it being noticed could be humiliating for them. And when someone is feeling humiliated, even though that is not your intention, you haven't done anything wrong, expect people to kind of fight back and get defensive. So if you expect that and then stay open to that explosion and just, if I could say, the best thing I can think of is let that kind of go over your head because it's not a real reaction. It is a real reaction. Of course it is. But it is not a reaction that's coming from someone who is calm and in a good place and in a healthy place because eating disorders hijack the brain and the thinking and they create high, high, high anxiety in a person. So you're seeing kind of a an atypical you know, reaction there. So do expect it and just don't take it personally. I know that's really hard to do. So that's where you might kind of get another friend to say, okay, she might yell at me or he might yell at me and then have someone that you can go to just kind of support you as well. And then again, don't get caught up in it. Don't yell back. Just say, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because I love you. 
I'm saying this because I love you. Just keep saying, you know, that. So that's about holding boundaries and knowing, yeah, you may not get the ideal reaction back. It's tough. Uh, It's tough. And the person may say, you know, you can't be my friend anymore if this is what you think of me, blah, 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 blah. And again, just let that wash over you. Just let it go on by. Don't take that on. I know that's terrifying to think that you could have just ruined your friendship and just say, I, you're my friend and I love you and I adore you and I just want you to be okay. I love you and I adore you and I want you to be okay and I'm here for you anytime, anytime. I know you're upset right now, but I'm here anytime. Mm. And don't give up on them. Yeah. I love that visual of kind of the wave just going over you. Like let all of the emotion flow over you and let yourself be the calm in the storm and be that reassuring voice for that individual. And the thing that I find in those difficult conversations is it might appear that your message isn't landing, but maybe a week later, that person comes back and really has taken in what you said, even though in that moment, it feels like they did not at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to have time. Now, you know, I'm thinking of the scenarios here. This would not be a time this would not be a great conversation to have late at night after you've been drinking or, you know, maybe you've you've started to have a fight about something else. So you throw this in. None of those are really good intervention techniques. A good intervention is something that is planned. It's calm in the morning, preferably after people have eaten and not when they're hungover or feeling, you know, a bit kind of a hot mess. So, you know, maybe even taking that person on a walk or something, you know, something like that where where you have the best opportunity for it landing right and not it being some kind of off-the-cuff type of comment. Wow. You know, it's one of those basic pieces of advice that you forget sometimes to state the obvious about, but it's so true. Like, I can just imagine people just coming home from a night of drinking and someone, maybe that person makes a comment about their diet and then you feel the need to say, well, I think you have an eating disorder (laughs) and it turns into like not the right time and place. So I'm glad you kind of brought up that because it, it does take a little bit of strategizing as far as, you know, making sure the message will be received as best as possible. And that can be planned to an extent. Exactly. And making sure that person doesn't feel like they're broken, you know, and no one wants to feel there's something wrong with them, but this is an illness. And, you know, people don't ask for an eating disorder. For many of us, there's a genetic predisposition to developing an eating disorder. So, you know, it's not something that someone asked for, nor did they do anything intentionally to deserve to have an eating disorder. So being very respectful of that, just like you would if someone had diabetes Or let's say your friend broke their leg. How would you respond to them in those circumstances? You know, and so it's the same with an eating disorder. Amazing. Well, I really do want to shift over to more of what not to do when a person, when supporting someone with an eating disorder. And so what would you say are some of the most common mistakes folks make when supporting a loved one? I think we just touched upon it, which is, you know, like you get in a little bit of a fight and say, you know, well, I think you have an eating disorder. You know, it's something to know. And again, for us, we're only human, right? So we're doing our best no matter what, even if it all comes out wrong. So to know that for many of us, our natural instinct, when we see someone we care about suffering is to go in and fix it right now. And so we 
often can find ourselves kind of going into this protective role and feeling like a protector. And so when we're in that role, we can tend to come in and say, I think you have an eating disorder, you need treatment, or let's go to a doctor now and just taking over. And it's all about, honestly, you doing something to them and for them. So step back, take a breath. That's not usually a helpful way to go about doing this. And it feels accusatory. So definitely check yourself because you can feel it. I can feel it right now as I'm kind of imagining that scenario, right? Going to that kind of protector fix-it mode. And it takes a lot to be like, okay, we're not going to fix this. We're just going to open up the space. So that's one thing not to do is to storm in there and do that. Number two, definitely don't take that information and talk amongst all the friends before talking to the person that you love or all the cousins or all the families. We've had situations where clients come in and they feel absolutely humiliated and alienated from the very people that they would need to rely upon through their recovery because it was discussed among many people without that client's knowledge, without that person's knowledge, you know, and keeping secrets and it feels gossipy then, doesn't it? So definitely not doing that. It's not your information to share. It's that person's personal information. So you may have suspicions and maybe you need to confide in one person, but choose that person wisely and then get some professional advice as well is what I would say there. Another thing that I would say not to do is to also not enable that person. So what I mean by that is if your loved one says, and you suspect there might be something going on, if your loved one says, I don't know, mum and dad, I want to order this delivery service, meal delivery service, and it's very, very low calorie and I want to, you know, I want to lose some more weight or whatever, you know, maybe that's a time to not just say, okay, dear, maybe that's a time to sit down and say, hey, you know, I've noticed there's been a lot of focus around food for you. Can we talk about that? You know, it's also, if I will say, it's a good time that if there's a family history here, that might be a good time to kind of bring that to their attention if you know what you're talking about. You know, like, you know, you may not know this, but your aunt struggled with disordered eating or had some concerns and this thing can run in families. Can I be of help to you? You know, that would be a good thing to do. So those are a couple of things of what not to do. So definitely, as as you can hear, I hope you're hearing over and again to not shame, to not attack, definitely not attack. I mean, I'll give you an example <laughs> of what not to do. My own mother, I am from Australia, so I flew home for a friend's wedding I think I was home for. And I had started a new job and I had actually lost some weight, but I was fully in recovery. So it wasn't even in my worst period with an eating disorder. And my mother didn't say anything to me for the two weeks I was home in Australia. But as soon as I came back to New York, the very next week we had a phone call and that's when she just went on the attack. I know now that she was scared, but it was horrible. She told me I was ugly And that if I think I look attractive at the weight I was, then I was sorely mistaken and, you know, not to be so vain and being told you're ugly by your own mother as a way of kind of trying to get you to go into treatment or look at the issue. Not my favorite approach. (laughs) Your heart goes out to you. That's really hard. Oh, it was horrible. horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible approach. I had to draw some boundaries there. You know, my mom is awesome. She's a bit of a Mother Teresa, but man, you know, when she gets scared, she goes into that 
And she was felt helpless because I was on the other side of the world, literally. So I, I understand now, but you know, that's 20 years later <laughs> and a lot of therapy. <laughs> but I, I share that experience just because unfortunately it's quite common, you know, when when we're seeing someone who's struggling, you know, we can feel fear. And when we feel fear, we we often don't handle it well. As far as being gentle and respectful and kind, we can go into that attacking mode. Mm. So true. Fear brings out scary side of many of us. I'm sorry you had to deal with that, but I know you've been handling it with therapy. So that's (laughs) (laughs) a long time ago now, but man. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. What not to do. (laughs) What not to do. You're like, I have many examples. So those were really helpful. Again, pieces of advice, words of wisdom for folks on what not to do is supporting someone with an eating disorder. Well, one of the final tips on the download that Balance offers is reminding folks that you should not tell someone they're not fat. And I just want to ask, why is that important to folks? Yeah, because I hear that a lot. And and it's, it's common, you know, because you know how we were talking about how the eating disorder hijacks the brain and it actually, the way that it disrupts the brain, it leads to distortion in the brain of how we visually see ourselves. And we actually know from functional MRIs, we're actually able to see how the brain is affected in its functionality. So what that all that means is that for the person who's struggling, when they look in the mirror, they're not able to truly see their body shape as it truly is. In other words, if they look in the mirror for one minute right now, they may look and think, okay, I can handle this. This is okay right now. They may come back 10 minutes later and say, oh, good God, no, I look outrageously, you know, heavy or not myself. And your body doesn't change in 10 minutes, just so viewers understand that physiologically, that's impossible. It's all distortion. So what we often see is that person may come to you and say, tell me, do I look fat in this? Tell me I'm not fat. Tell me, do I look fat in this? Do I look fat? Do I look okay in this? And for some of your listeners right now, they may be thinking, ding, 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 ding. Oh my gosh, so-and-so is always doing that. We had a situation where there was a the boss, the owner of a company was doing this to her executive assistant, constantly asking the executive assistant, do I look fat in this? Do I look fat? You know, which tells you how boundaries also get messed up around the anxiety of I need reassurance that I look okay. And the reason why it's not helpful to say and continue to say 10, 100 times a day, no, you don't look fat, is because, well, first and foremost, it won't help because that person's anxiety, they'll be okay for one second and then their anxiety will go through the roof again because of the distortion in how they experience their body. So it's never going to fully be internalized by that person and they're not going to get to that place of being okay with their body just from you reassuring them. So it's not helpful in that regard. And it's also a huge red flag that they've got enormous body image distress. So there's a lot going on for them. Really fascinating. And also a good reminder for folks out there who are constantly asking their partner if they look fat, like you're not really going to get that body image healing by constantly externally asking that question. So really, really interesting stuff. I thought that was a good tip to add on your downloadable. So, wow, Melanie, our time is really flying by. This episode is 
full of helpful tidbits. So I appreciate that. And just before we wrap up, I did want to ask you if there's anything you'd like to promote or share with the community while you're on here and you have this space. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Meg. It's a pleasure to be on here today. So I'd like to absolutely encourage people to check out our website, which is balancedtx.com. That's balance with a D. And we have a lot of wonderful resources on there, including our free downloadable ebook, which is the anti-diet. And it's filled with tips, et cetera, on how to navigate this very diet-centric culture that we're in and how to take care of yourself in a very real and caring way. So definitely check that out. And if I may, Meg, plug the fact that I'm actually launching a new coaching business myself in the new year, where I'm going to be training up coaches to learn how to work with clients who have more disordered eating and body image distress, not full-blown eating disorders, which is what we do at Balance, but about 80% of the population is living with disordered eating and body image distress. And so we're going to certify coaches to be able to help us and work with that part of the population and also start taking on clients directly to support them in that arena. We've seen in the health and wellness field, there's a lot of people out there coaching in the field who are not using evidence-based treatments. Unlike yourself, Meg, your certification is so buttoned up and such a valuable asset to the field but there's a lot out there that isn't. So this is kind of my response to that. So if there are folks out there who have their own lived experience and want to maybe work in the field, this could be a way of possibly doing that. So I just want to put that out there. And that's called Redefine Wellness. And our new website will be out in January. Oh, that's very exciting. And I I love that you really connect with the coaching space. And I think the focus on disordered eating is so necessary because there is that fine line and those folks definitely need help too, right? And I think coaches are the right people to do that. So Mulaney, I'm really excited to learn more about that in the future. And again, I just want to say thank you for being on the show today. And I look forward to potentially having you on again and just staying connected with you as always. Absolutely. My pleasure, Meg. I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing for the community. You know, the support and services, it's so, so needed and so helpful. And it's just a pleasure hanging out with you. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Okay. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye. (laughs) 